All right, I'm looking at the Google Analytic Trends. Looks like I need to make some money to see if I can salvage this thing. Um, let's look at some popular movies that are out. Creed 3? Well, I'm a little past the deadline to talk about that movie. It feels like I'm talking about a dinosaur now at that point. Shazam! Fury of the Gods? Oh, it's not even trending at all. In fact, it's in the bottom tier of movies. It's below Avatar Way of the Water. Somehow that's possible. I don't really want to talk about Dungeons and Dragons, even if it is pretty popular. I've never played the game series, and I don't know if it'd be any good. Wait, wait a second. Is that the Baba Yaga? The Boogeyman in his fourth installment? John Wick 4 makes $135 million in its opening weekend. I gotta call Fahrenheit. Hello? Fahrenheit? Uh, what the fuck? I just... Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to wake you, but uh, I found an opportunity for me to make money with my podcast so Danny doesn't foreclose it. We're going to talk about John Wick 4. Oh, my God. Wait. Uh, huh? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sure. Sure. Keanu Reeves' new action movie, John Wick 4. It says on the Google Analytic Trends that if you start talking about this movie now, you're destined to get a bunch of clicks and donations. So we got to talk about it because I got to tell you, this is one satisfying conclusion to the John Wick franchise. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, I think my favorite one is, um, I think, uh, Matrix 4. I think. Wait. I think that's obviously the better movie. Slow your roll there. Matrix 4 is not even on the same level as John Wick 4. Wait, um... But it it has Keanu Reeves. Yeah, it has Keanu Reeves, but he's not John Wick in that. He's the stupid Neo character that nobody remembers. What the fuck? Neo is so much cooler, obviously. No, Neo's not cool. They had to use stupid CG. Keanu Reeves' as John Wick is doing practical stunts. Keanu, Keanu Reeves is the chosen one in the matrix yeah but he's the baba yaga okay you got me there yeah i do got you there uh fuck it but this is this is what's gonna boast of the money right or else danny's gonna shut down the podcast yeah we have no choice we have to talk about it i mean i I know matrix 4 if i look at the google trends oh matrix 4 is actually below puss in boots the last wish oh jesus christ Somehow oh, it's man. popular. I don't know how. <laughs> God all right. damn it. In all, in all seriousness, uh, welcome back to Hayden's Entertainment Hour. Uh, yesterday, we're going to be talking about John Wick 4, the much-anticipated uh, next sequel to the John Wick franchise. Um, John Wick as a franchise. My goodness, did nobody expect this little thing to take off when it first came out? Because John Wick was like this simple little action movie that was just supposed to kind of help revive Keanu Reeves' career. The trailers that came out for it kind of made it look like, oh, it looks like another generic Keanu Reeves action movie that doesn't look very good. And then somehow, some way, the premise of a man that simply just wanted to get revenge because his car was stolen and his dog was killed took off and created this gigantic behemoth of a franchise about the legend of John Wick the boogeyman it created this whole world and universe that everybody has fallen in love with but the biggest thing about it that people have fallen in love with is the practical stunts and the action of these movies because I just got to say with each entry of the John Wick franchise, the action consistently gets better, and that's what's been drawing people to the box office. John Wick has made more money than Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania in its opening weekend alone, and it just goes to show you the staying power of not only Keanu Reeves, but the John Wick franchise as a whole. 
Oh, Fahrenheit, are you excited to talk about this? Because I am excited to talk about John Wick 4. I literally just, like, finished rewatching a bunch of the movies. And I just rewatched John Wick 4 twice. Oh, John Wick 4 twice? Yeah. No, it, it's that good. Like, I, I needed to see that movie twice. Because, like... Yeah, it's it's the longest in the franchise. But, like, I don't know. Like, it's odd to say it, but, like, I guess the best way I could describe this is, like, payoff. Mm-hmm. Right? No, that is, like, that is a good way of saying it. It's so weird to say, because, yeah, you're kind of right. Because the first one, it's very much, like, a very simple revenge narrative. So... It kind of begs the question, how did we get here? Like, how, how did this... In, how did this franchise become, like, a franchise? And honestly, I, I guess with this fourth movie, it... I, I'm fine with it being a franchise at this point, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, the quick little premise of John Wick 4, <laughs> because they're not plot-heavy movies, but they do have plots in them. So in this edition of John Wick 4, John Wick is still on the run from the high table and still has a mark on his head. But this time around, John Wick is able to find a way out of the high table universe and get his freedom that he wants. He has to challenge a newcomer that is trying to stop him that is called the Marquis de Gramo, who is trying to hunt and kill John Wick. And all he has to do is rekindle the relationship with his family and make sure that he can challenge the Marquis to a high table duel that will ensure that he gets his freedom. So John Wick 4, like I said, they're not plot-heavy movies because if you want to go over the plots of each of the movies, like I said, the first one, simply some Russian mobsters break into his house, they kill his dog, they steal his car, John Wick goes and gets revenge. In the second one, a man's name Santino that used to hire John Wick to work for him is like, hey, you owe me a debt, I need you to do this thing for me, I need you to go kill my sister. John Wick goes to kill his sister, and then it turns out he's being double-crossed. There's a bounty that's put on his head, and Santiago goes to hide out in the in the uh, Continental. Continental. Yeah, John Wick shoots him in the head, which of course causes him to become excommunicado on the hands of Winston. John Wick is running from a bunch of uh, assassins in the third movie, and he decides to make amends with the high table again by going as far as to find one of the elders. The elders tell him, if you kill Winston and take a finger, we will let you back in. And then John Wick decides, under Winston's wisdom, to not do what the high table wants and form a war against the high table. Then Winston portrays him at the end of three by shooting him off of a rooftop. But then guess what? John Wick is okay. The Bowery King finds him and is like, I'm pissed off, John. Are you pissed off? And we get the great Keanu Reeves line. Yeah. Yeah. And now here we are at the fourth movie with uh, John Wick on the run still from the high table, on the run from all the assassins that want the bounty on his head. We have just so much chock full of action in this to the point where I was asking myself, at what point does the franchise really stop and consider can John Wick get a way out? Because you have to think about it. There have been nothing but consequences for John Wick going back into this universe, right? At the end of the first movie, his consequences, not only does he lose his car and his dog, but at the same time, his freedom is now in question because Santiago wants to hire him back for a debt that he owes. After killing Santiago, not only does he lose his freedom, but he becomes excommunicado, and now people are trying to hunt him, and he loses the respect of Winston. In the third movie, he goes to take on the high table, but the consequence here is not only A, is he basically never going to buy his freedom back with the high table and will always be on the run, but at the same time, he gets double-crossed and is basically left to his own means. Throughout the series, John Wick has lost a lot. He's lost basically part of his life, he lost the peacefulness that he wanted to, and he basically has become the John Wick of legend again, just an assassin that can't stop killing, that ultimately is asking himself the question, is it really worth it to try to go back into retirement? That's 
kind of fair. Because, like, when you put it that way, yeah, no, I, I'd say that the narrative is pretty much there. Even before movies that are kind of plotless. Right? Yeah. But, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, that's something that I really liked about this series on how it, like, tackled revenge. But, yeah, I don't know. That, that's something, because, like, if anything, it's the second one where they introduce consequence. Mm-hmm. I guess that that's probably the reason why I've started to consider that one to be like my favorite one. Yeah, it's it's still my favorite. It, it's either because yeah, no, it's either this one that we're talking about now or John Wick Two. Yeah. Uh, but like yeah, because like with three, it's like very much. Yeah, it's like he loses respect of Winston, obviously, and like he betrays him to save him in the end mm-hmm. but like yeah i mean i guess the thing with three despite it being like the prettiest at the at its time like i guess it kind of lacked a villain it's more so it's just like a big action set piece yeah like i non-stop. think my biggest yeah, my biggest issue with three is John goes on this whole quest to find the elder of the, uh, the high table, right? And after yeah. he finds the elder, he cuts off his finger and is like, okay, I'll do this for you and kill Winston. And then he goes and finds Winston, and Winston's like, no, let's actually go to war with the high table instead. And he goes, okay. And it just kind of feels like the journey John went on to find the high table elder to get his freedom was kind of for nothing because in the end, he just ends up teaming up with Winston to take on the high table. That's kind of my big issue with three. I get that you're not really there for the plot, you're there for the action, which is fair. That is what John Wick is basically known for. But it's just stuff like that that kind of bothered me with three. It did introduce a really good side character, though. Like, That's true. like that entire like crew of like silent assassins, like that were just like so eager to fight Wick. Like, yeah, no, it, it's very much like it's simple. Like, if anything, one and three are simple, mm-hmm. and then two and four are like really complex responses, I guess. That's if, true. if that makes sense. No, and yeah, that, that's, that's like what four. I really like about four when mm-hmm. its writing is like on on point. But there are stuff in four that I absolutely love. Like I, I think that first, the first, the second, and the third act are like near perfect. But like, I don't know. I, I'm gonna tackle that later down the line. But I'm very excited to talk about chapter four. Yeah. So we'll start talking about chapter four here. Um, So the plot opens up with John Wick has been living in the Bowery Kings little division. Basically, he's been training, fighting. He's punching a post at the beginning as the Bowery King is giving this whole monologue about how he's the king of New York, basically. And then he brings a Kevlar suit to John and goes, are you pissed off? Are you ready, John? And John turns around and goes, yeah. And then he goes and he starts killing some people that work for one of the elders of the high table, works his way up to find the elder and is like, can I get my ring back? And he's like, your ring is gone, just like the elder before me. He's like, what do you think? Killing me is going to do anything. It doesn't matter how many of us you kill. We'll always be replaced. You don't have enough bullets to take us all down. He's like, basically, you're doing this all for nothing. And Keanu, of course, delivers another great line where he goes, yeah, not for nothing. And he shoots the elder in the head and walks away. And I'm like, damn. That's a pretty nice cold open that John Wick doesn't really care that like the high table basically is like this endless regime that can constantly be replaced. He's like, I'm still going to try to take them all down. But 
What's up? I actually wanted to add something to that because uh, the thing is, I like the first time I watched it, I actually missed that scene because uh, I, I was like five minutes late. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> but I just rewatched it and there's a line that kind of comes back that makes me like the ending a little bit more because I'm, I'm still a little bit conflicted. We'll get there. Yeah. But uh, what the line was, because not only was the person saying that, like, killing me isn't going to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. But he also says that John Wick will always, will only find freedom in death. Right? Yeah. And that's something that I found interesting in context with the ending, I guess. We're going to come back to it later, obviously. Yeah. But... Yeah. So the, the consequence that we had for Winston, obviously, was that he allowed John Wick to kill one of the uh, high table members on his Continental. So we have this new character that is played by Clancy Brown, which is a lot of people know as Mr. Krabs. He plays a, I think it was a harbor, harbor or something like that, Harbinger. I think it's a Harbinger. He plays a Harbinger who basically is like, I'd like to see the manager. He walks into the Continental and delivers that the Marquis de Gramo has declared basically that the Continental is to be condemned. They have an hour to get out of there and they have to go report to the Marquis de Gramo because he's their judge, jury, and executioner. So, of course, Sharon and Winston go to report to the Marquis. And obviously, Winston's giving his whole like philosophical lines and stuff about how like you shouldn't be here, my friend. You know, I'm probably going to get murdered for this and everything. And Sharon is like, well, I have the unshakable faith of David. Like, I'm here to support you, sir. You're a great friend and everything like that. And they walk in and we get the Marquis de Gramo that is played by Bill Skarsgård, who has been known as been playing Pennywise his whole career. But honestly, he's a pretty good actor, all things considered. He was in, um, as a lot of people know, Barbarian last year. And I thought he was yeah. really good small party played in that um but in this he plays a pretty good asshole he reminds me a lot of uh santino from john wick 2 where he's basically just like kind of there to report his minions and stuff to do his bidding and all that it's not like a rehash of the character because he is different in some ways because of the power structure he has versus santino but i do like bill skarsgård's introduction here because he's very calculated he basically is like you allowed john wick to come into your continental kill someone on grounds you're old basically your old management that didn't know how to deal with your friend you didn't want to kill him truly because you are friends with him and now there are consequences for that and there's this small framing device where they keep like simply cutting to the little sand dial that is on the desk and cutting to Winston. And you can just see that Winston's patience is slowly running out as the sand dial runs out. And as it completely runs out, of course, the Continental is completely blown up. And Winston, you know, clinches his fist because he's angry and stuff. And the Marquis walks over and he's like, we have no use for you as the Continental, basically you're excommunicado, which means you can be executed. And there's no longer needed the requirements of your uh, concierge. And he points the gun over at Sharon and shoots Sharon and Sharon falls to the ground and he grabs Winston's hand and goes, it's been an honor serving you, sir. And he dies, which I know it was Lance Riddick obviously died about three weeks ago, as a lot of people know, and it was a shock to everybody. Um, And at the time, you know, of filming this, they couldn't have predicted it happened and stuff. But I don't know why it got me emotional because I was like, fuck. Like, Sharon, who is a great character, and I loved everything about him and his interactions with John, and he has a kick-ass action scene in 3, is gone. Not only in real life, but now in the movie. And Winston's reaction to, it should have been me, just really hits a lot harder now. Like, it really hits. And of course, the Marquis's like, yes, now think about why it wasn't you. 
and he's like, as he walks out of the room, he's like, now bring me Kane. I love everything about this because one, it establishes the bad guy right out of the gate. Two, it has a lot of stakes here because obviously Winston knows he could be next after Sharon because there's no point in him being around in this. And three, it really goes to show that John Wick is up against somebody that is super powerful. The Marquis basically works as like the general underneath the high table and he has all of their resources at his disposal, meaning this guy can basically encircle John Wick with a bunch of armored guards and kill him if he wants to, but the Marquis has a different way of going about John Wick and making him pay for his sins. Yeah. Like... Well, obviously, the difference between Santino, right? Yeah, I think it's Santino. Yeah. The the main difference between Santino and uh, the Marquis is that the Marquis is French and Santino is Italian. (laughs) (laughs) The damn French. (laughs) The damn French. You'll see later down the line that he's, like, fucking pretentious. (laughs) Like, yeah, because, like... Like, even in this scene, too, like, before he, like, pulls a gun on Charon, rest in peace, Lance Reddick, like, he's just making tea. Like, as as he's, like, talking shit to them. Mm-hmm. It, it's so... And also, yeah, like, why... Why did they cast Bill Skarsgård? Or, not Bill Skarsgård. Is it? Yeah, it's Bill Skarsgård. He's a Bill Skarsgård. I'm... There's too many Skarsgårds in the world. I know. I know. <laughs> No, but like, yeah, like he can pull off a Frenchman's accent. Why him? That's so interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And like, the thing is, he makes it work uh, as a villain. And I think that like, he's probably one of the strongest villains that we've gotten since Santino. Yeah, it, that it's something that three was like sorely lacking, I guess. And that's one of the. It comes back to one of the reasons why I think that this uh, this movie has a lot of payoff. I think because it does feel like a love letter to the franchise as a whole. Mm-hmm. I guess, but like again, the ending it, it's it's looming over my like judgment over it. I'm probably gonna save it for later, but I do like this first act a lot. Because, yeah, no, Charon's death got me emotional, too. Mm-hmm. But, like, something else happens in the first act that also... It's the first movie to bring me to tears. And it's just because of this first act. I- I'm excited to delve into that. Yeah. So, after this, like I said, the Marquis calls for Kane. And we get an introduction to Kane, who is listening to a music, a little musical note on his pocket watch, and he keeps framing into a girl that is playing a violin and him, and all of a sudden he gets dragged into the Marquis's big exotic room, and Marquis's like, well, we're gonna give you a name, because the deal that we made with you is we give you a name, you take a life, and if you refuse to do it, we take a life of yours. And of course, they're referring to his daughter that they're holding captive, and Kane is basically being held against his will, but one of the neat things about Kane is that he is blind. He's a blind assassin. And we'll get into, obviously, how he became blind and everything like that. But basically, Kane is very reluctant at first. He's like, just get somebody else, you know. They hand him a Braille card for him to be able to read the name of who it is on there. And he realizes it's John Wick. And the Marquis like, hmm, he's an old associate and friend, isn't he? And Kane's like, of course. He's like, that doesn't matter to you. And Kane, of course, is trying to struggle to say, like, well, it does because it's a friend of his. But obviously, Kane has to serve. He goes, I will serve. I have been a service and everything. And Kane is sent off to kill John Wick. What I like about Kane 
is very much he feels like John Wick. And I think that is the point the directors were trying to make is that there are other people in this universe like John Wick that are being held captive. Kane as a character is very complex because he murders some innocent people in this movie that he was friends with, much like John Wick is forced to kill some people that he doesn't want to in this franchise. And it really feels like there's a lot more weight to Kane because Kane is blind, whereas John Wick has his eyes, nose, basically all his senses and stuff like that. But Kane has to combat for his lack of vision with other things like hearing and his movements and everything like that. But not only that, it feels like every time Kane kills somebody, you can just tell there's a reluctance for him to do this because he truly does not want to be in this world anymore and he wants to get out much like john did yeah no like kane's interesting to me because like apparently like later down the line he even says that like he gave his eyes to the high table yeah right and it's like i because like yeah people are even saying that like there's like gonna be like a potential spin-off with this character that's true and that's that's interesting like just one character sparked like so much intrigue and i'm kind of excited to see like how they're gonna pull that off if they do Mm -hmm. but like yeah no like this is also like the second character uh donnie yen has played where like he's like playing like a blind badass yeah (laughs) yeah quite funny yeah uh, so after this, we get to the uh, Osaka Continental Hotel where we frame in on a character that is just simply called The Tracker, who's played by Shamir Anderson, who's a newcomer to the franchise. And Hollywood describe him as basically like a scenario if, what if John Wick and his dog were bounty hunters, basically? Because that's essentially what he felt like to me was, oh, this is a version of John Wick where his dog didn't get killed and he never got out and the two of them are going around tracking and killing. He checks into the Continental Hotel where he meets Akira, another character in the movie that we'll get into a little bit later. And they have a funny little interaction where basically she's like, there's no dogs left in this hotel. He's like, it's an emotional support animal and I'm her emotional support animal and everything. The tracker then sits down. He reviews this book of notes that he has, which I kind of liked because he basically writes down the details of his next victim and everything you can tell he's been counting the bounty on john wick's head and he's waiting for it to reach over 25 million so that way he can finally take him out and get his reward and everything and then we get another great character that's introduced in the movie which is shumazu who is played by i don't want to butcher butcher this but it's haruki sonata right uh i'm double checking real quick okay um who plays Shimazu, who is another friend of John Wick, who runs the Osaka Continental, basically. He is the head honcho of it. And he's there with Akira. Akira's like, you know, I'm nervous because everybody's looking for John Wick and the high table's out looking for him and stuff. He's like, daughter, you don't have to worry about anything. You know, like, we're fine. If the high table comes here, we're prepared. And they're walking through framing, like, this kitchen area all of these guards and stuff like that and i'm like okay this is all set up obviously and then we cut to the rooftop where akira goes back to basically being like the front continental worker and everything like that and we see him stop look over at john wick who is next to a nice little peace lily tree and we get this beautiful shot of him asking john if he's at peace and it's keanu reeves up against this all red billboard and just the color grading of the shot and the way Keanu yeah. looks in the shot with all of the black and the juxtaposed to the red, beautiful. Love every... Like, I, I am very excited for Chad Stolkitsky to direct the Ghost of Tsushima movie because the colors in this will work so fucking well in that adaptation. No, yeah, like... I, I just rewatched it today. And, like... I just was gushing over how well 
the shots were yeah in this movie it's like so surprising like i'm gonna make that my background someday like when it comes to digital i'm gonna screenshot that and make it like my fucking laptop like poster i don't blame you yeah i don't know then also yeah it is hiroyuki sonata okay you're, you're talking about the the hotel owner right yeah 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 uh yeah no by the way and speaking of him yeah shimazu yeah is probably okay 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 sorry let me backtrack one more time no you're good when i when i so when i first watched this in theaters i was five minutes late i've only caught up to that part where uh mr krabs puts like a fucking hourglass on the yeah on the continental so i'm like okay maybe i just missed the first five minutes i but the thing is this first act like how it was like building up this drama it felt like a third act if that makes sense right yeah. i heard the third act was like 37 minutes long mm-hmm. for this and no yeah this fight felt so long but in a good way yeah um uh, i'm not yeah. gonna say what happens yet but like oh, <laughs> yeah man the drama the drama the drama is great so meanwhile while john and shimazu are talking on top of the rooftop we juxtapose back to akira that is in the lobby and all of these uh i don't know i would say marquee goons come walking in and they're like all right we need to search the continental and everything like that and akira's like oh i gotta go find my father because something bad's about to happen here the tracker also notices that all of these guards are not in the ordinary and they shouldn't be here or anything like that and so meanwhile john and shimazu are talking and it's basically like this little talk about how like you can't kill your way through everyone john like i know that you'd like to but you know if you want to truly find inner peace a good death only comes after good life which is great advice to give john wick because like you said at the beginning the elder tells him like you can only find peace and death and shimazu telling him like well if you want to find true peace you know it has to come after a good fulfilling life and i thought that was so interesting because john wick like we've seen through all the movies he wants to get out and he wants to find a peaceful life but again he's just been murdering his way through all of his consequences basically and it does make you think in the end like will john wick ever truly find like the good death will he ever cling to that death that he wants and i love that akira comes up and of course announces to her father like hey there's some mercenaries here that shouldn't be here and she's pissed off that john's here obviously because it puts the whole hotel at risk shimazu goes down to talk to the leader of the marquis de Cramo's goons and stuff he's like i just need to search your whole hotel because we heard john wick might be here and he's like of course but we need your guns because there will be no business conducted in my hotel of course they get frustrated and everything like that and refuse to take the guns so the marquis goon goes you know what enough I've deconsecrated this hotel, give us full access and everything. And then Shimazu turns off all the lights. All of these guards come out with bows and arrows and everything, and obviously katanas and stuff like that. And it sets up the first action scene in the movie in which all of these guards in the Continental are going around killing these mercenaries and goons and stuff. And it's to the point where Shimazu takes out all of the Marquis de Gramo's goons besides the head honcho and it goes, get out of my hotel. But the head honcho, of course, smiles and all of the armored guards that obviously the high table has at their disposal come running in and Shimazu is forced to back off. And this is where we get into the first action scenes of the movie, which are, I think it was reported at least between 35 minutes to 40 minutes long was this action sequence. And it's hard for me to describe everything in it, but basically all I have to say is the highlight for me in one of these was Kane's introduction. I absolutely love Kane's introduction because again, he's blind. And many people in my audience are like, 
how are they going to do this? Like, he's probably going to be lame as fuck or it's going to be unrealistic. No, it's great. Kane has to combat for sound. So he's listening for things in the sequence. Like, he's listening for gun clicks. He's listening for, like, little subtle, subtle breaths and stuff like that. And how he does that so well is he'll sit there patiently and wait. Here's a movement, is able to track where it is and shoot, and then just very quick style beats the shit out of all these goons. He even does, like, a little wind-up to take out one of them and everything. But one <laughs> thing that I love is he has all of these gadgets that are basically little doorbells that he puts on all these different sections. And as goons come pass by these doorbells, they go off, and it allows him to shoot in the direction of where they are passing these doorbells and stuff. Brilliant. I love everything that they did with Kane here because you have to pay attention to detail here. Not only does Kane struggle sometimes to find, like, obviously who he's fighting because, again, he's blind, but, like, at times, if he doesn't hear a distinct sound or something like that, he has no idea what's going on. But when he does hear, oh, my God, you don't want to be in the same direction as him because he will fucking kill you. I mean, there's also john wick with nunchucks but yeah and well yeah obviously <laughs> there's john wick with nunchucks john wick kills a bunch of people with guns and everything like that it like it's it's a big action sequence it's very hard to describe action obviously but john wick does beat up a goon with nunchucks i love how he hits him in the face repeatedly um he takes another goon i believe with like one of the mini pistols and he like unloads an entire round into his neck um the glass pane windows in this the amount of them that fucking keanu got thrown into when he's about to be 60 years old I, I gotta give it yeah. this man like his body I can only imagine what they're going through sure they probably had a lot of padding on him because you know it's hard for that shit to happen but oh my goodness like wow Keanu Reeves hats off to you for still doing your own stunts something else I kind of found impressive with this whole action scene too besides the drama which made me cry surprisingly uh Rena so I'm gonna butcher this name, Rina Sawayama. Yeah, I think that's right. This is like, I I don't know if they had one in John Wick Three, but this is like the second musical artist to be in these like movies. Yeah, and like because like the the other one being Common, they're both fucking phenomenal for no reason. They are really <laughs> like, really good. Yeah, no, I remember watching Akira, like, using, like, a fucking bow and arrow, and it's, like, this kind of, this kind of action puts Hawkeye to fucking shame. Mm-hmm. And also, like, that whole scene of her, like, using two knives to climb up a guy. Like, yeah, that was trying really to good. fucking escape her. That was so fucking metal. I remember, yeah. like, my jaw dropped, and it was so visceral. And, like, I really liked how that scene ended with uh, John Wick saving um, saving Shimazu, basically, from getting shot in the back. Yeah. To show, because, like, the thing is, Akira, she was, like, very against John Wick being on their continental grounds. But, yeah, if anything, it, that scene kind of, like, solidified, like, the trust I guess, where, like, Shimazu is, like, just to honor my gift, please kill as many people as you can. And then it just ends with us. But that was so funny to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And obviously that last bit with... Are you going to talk about that last fight between uh, John Wick versus Kane? Yeah, so... 
obviously what I love about this fight is it's after John has just taken out a whole room of goods and he's Keanu's out of breath because the the shot cuts after he gets done with that one take action sequence and obviously then the next cut is like supposed to be him like out of breath and everything but obviously it's the next scene so they probably cut it but Keanu's obviously out of breath he gets up and here enters Kane who's like John are you here and he's like Kane they gave you my name he's like yeah he's like you know you don't have to do this and of course you can tell it hurts Kane a little bit that he has to take out John Wick like the two of them when they first fight one thing I noticed is like they weren't directly shooting at each other like John at first is very reluctant to not just completely shoot Kane when he's exposed Kane doesn't shoot John even when he hears him at one point like there's a lot of cat and mouse here obviously because they're friends they're really old friends and John's like did you you know they gave you my name so you made a deal with them he's like same one you took John and everything he's like I have a daughter like come on let's just finish this you know how this ends and there's a great moment where it looks like John's about to go around the corner and take out Kane because he's like oh he's blind he's not gonna see me and then Kane hears him and just whacks him to death with his cane Kane unloads like an entire what's that no, 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 I was just saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kane unloads an entire clip into one of the glass pane windows that John falls through. And then, of course, Kane doesn't hear John and is like, are you live, John? Like, he's trying to feel around for him with his cane or, like, here. And Keanu, of course, looks over, sees a pistol, you know, leans over to get it, breaks some glass. And then him and Kane get into a fight. Kane holds the blade to his neck and is like, come on, John. And before Kane can put the knife into John Wick's neck, there's a random shot that goes off and it's the tracker from earlier who's trying to take out John Wick. And it allows Kane to get off of John and try to hide from the shooter and John runs out the door. And then as John runs out, he has to kill another goon, but decides to take test of the goon because he hasn't seen this enemy type before. And as John is like walking up, out comes this dog that takes out a goon that's about to take out John Wick. And then the tracker comes walking up and he's like, Ooh, John, you know, like you got to take better care of yourself. He's like, well, how high is the bounty on me? And he goes, not high enough. And the tracker takes out another goon that's about to kill John Wick. He goes, just take better care of yourself, John. He's like, I'll be seeing you. And he walks out of frame. I love the tracker. Not only one, because he has a great little pup that he has around with him, but it's also just kind of the badassery of another assassin in the universe that might be as equally skilled as John Wick is working his way up to be like, hey, John, you're not the only one that's got the same set of skills that can find you and like take you on and everything. Just be careful, you know? And I like everything about this character. He's fun. Sure, you could say he's basically John Wick with a dog, but I think that's kind of the purpose is like a character like this is meant to mirror John Wick, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um, And I love everything about the tracker. The thing is, like, I think if anything, the second act will solidify this more. But like this movie introduces characters that are surprisingly like on level as as John Wick. Which I find very interesting. We're we're talking about Mr. Nobody and uh and a not Kara. Uh friggin' yeah, Kane. Yeah, Kane. Yeah, and that's something that I find really interesting because like if anything, that's the reason why I thought that was the third act of the movie when I watched oh, yeah. it. When I walked in on it late. Because it almost felt like the entire movie if anything right like what was it just me it, yeah, it's just felt like there's so much drama there's so much desperate action mm-hmm. that almost felt final yeah and yeah no i was just like blown away by it i guess and the thing is it's the next scene that follows the the climax of kane and wick's fight is what brought me to tears i think it's it's the next one Basically, yeah, that wraps up this Jap- this Japan arc. So, after this, uh, we cut to Shimazu and Akira that are trying to run because Akira is injured. 
and Shimazu stops once he sees Donnie Yen sitting on the steps. And there are two guards that are dead right behind him. And he goes, all right, Shimazu, just tell me where John Wick is. I don't want to have to kill you or anything like that. And of course, Shimazu's like, well, I have to protect my daughter. I have to protect my Osaka hotel. I'm not going to let Donnie Yen get through this. And he goes, you don't have to do this. You could run away from the high table, everything like that. He's like, they have my daughter. You know, I can't do this. He's like, the two of them are basically at wits with each other. They don't want to kill each other. Again, they're really good friends. But the problem is, they're forced at the hands of two different things. Shimazu's trying to do the right thing and rebel against the high table, but Donnie Yen is forced to work for the high table and, of course, attack and kill him because they have his daughter. And there's this great slow fight between the two of them, which, of course, Donnie Yen gets the upper hand and stabs Shimazu, and he takes off his glasses and goes, look at me. He goes, even a blind man knows that you've lost. And Shimazu, trying to hold his pride and everything like that, is like, I know. That's why a good father tries to protect. He goes to fight him again. A final stab is put into him by Donnie Yen, and Shimazu falls over and dies as Akira goes to him crying. And Donnie Yen sits there, obviously, and you can tell he's torn up about it. That's what I love about Donnie Yen as an actor, is his facial expressions really tell the way he feels. Um, he's torn up about it. He puts the glasses back on. Akira goes to grab the compounder, and he goes, don't. You know, if you want to live, just put it down, get out of here, go. I won't kill you, obviously, because Donnie Yen probably would have killed Akira on the spot in that moment because he is the more skilled assassin. Um, and Akira runs off and Donnie Yen, of course, just walks into frame into the dojo looking for John Wick. And that's it's a really sad but effective scene. Like, I, I kind of want to delve into that a little bit because I, I think I'm going to be like a little bit personable here, if that's all right. Yeah, that's fine. I, I I think the reason why this scene kind of hit hard, I guess, was because I actually did lose a loved one recently. It, it was my dog, Fitz. Oh. Basically, yeah. It, it, it happened, like, a couple weeks ago. I'm over it now, but, like, I don't know. Like, just the way that, like, uh, how Kane was able to dispatch him quickly twice, right, and, like, uh, Shimazu, he had a bunch of fight in him, even at the very end, and then, yeah, he, it cuts to Akira crying, but then, uh, Kane's like, don't fight, live. Yeah. Right, and I think that line kinda hit hard for me, I guess, because, like, I thought Akira was gonna be more involved in the plot mm -hmm. after this, right? Because, like, it, it, we're, we're gonna tackle that later but mm -hmm. i just remember that was so effective for me like how to overcome death i guess because like the thing is right after get can i explain this next scene after that yeah. it, it falls into like the theme yeah okay. because yeah so basically after like akira escapes uh the the very tragic scene uh it cuts to john wick going inside the train that will get him out of this little area that they're in. But Akira follows him into it, and she's saying, either you kill Kane or I will. Right? Like, she's kind of, like, fed up because, like, she's, like, holding a grudge against John Wick for this, so, like, he feels like it's responsible for him to either do or for her to be vengeful and such. Yeah. John Wick just says, I understand. And, like, I don't know, like, that... Like, because, like, yeah, no, payoff, right? Mm -hmm. John Wick has been through all of it. He's been through revenge, consequence. 
Uh, and, like, if anything, this is, like, I don't want to call it atonement, but uh, I don't know. Like, I, I just remember I was so wrapped up into that little scene. I, I was, like, breaking down a little bit. Not just, and arguably, you can say that about the ending as well. Yeah. I don't know. This first act was just so amazing to me and yeah i don't know it, it's probably my favorite part of the movie what what do you think about this whole arc oh it's a good arc i like the japan arc um i obviously we'll get into the third act which i think is like kind of the more solid part of it um, that's totally fair too mm-hmm. yeah um but i do love this arc i do love this japan arc so after this the tracker of course decides like hey you know what i've tracked john wick down why don't i go try and make a deal with obviously the Marquis de Gramo because he thinks I'll be able to get some money out of it and Kane right outside is like take your is basically like be careful don't take the deal basically like he warns him straight up and the tracker goes in and is very cocky he's like I want 25 million and I also want a contribution to my 401k because I know you can afford it and Bill Skarsgård the whole time is like just very reluctant he kind of has a big grin on his face I'm like oh my god he's either going to like take something from the tracker here or he's gonna like force him like or he's gonna kill his dog I thought he was gonna kill his dog um and of course he's like all right well like i'll make a deal with you for the 25 million and he goes to shake his hand and he grabs the tracker's hand stabs it right between his knuckles and his fingers and basically tells him like i think a man committed to the cause um would pull his like pull his hand through the knife but a man that's not committed would pull it out like pull the knife out he's like which will you be and the tracker to show he's committed to the cause pulls his hand out through the stab like the knife that stabbed through his hand and has a gigantic gash down right and then Bill Skarsgård goes and shakes his bloody hand. It's like, there, we have a deal. You'll have your 25 million. Go find John Wick. And what I love about this scene is the Marquis de Gramo, like, I just thought, oh, he's another Santino. He's just talking a big game. But no, if he wants to be like a badass and he wants to like make somebody pay, he will. Because he just grabbed this assassin by the hand, flipped his hand over and stabbed him and did not fear it at all that he'd retaliate. I love that about Bill Skarsgård. And I love another thing about it too is his acting range is much like his father. His father plays a lot of great villain roles and one thing that i love about it is he always has like this little like grimy feel to him when he plays into a performance that his dad does and it's just it's really effective in making you hate him as a villain he's also like because yeah no he's like scary but like in an attractive kind of way like that that's kind of like how my biggest takeaway from barbarian yeah that but like here yeah i remember i was thinking is this guy gonna play like a scary part in this and yeah no that was like terrifying like because yeah no like he even had like the dogs he even got like tracker's dog on like at gunpoint yeah and it's like jesus christ it's like this is kind of a helpless situation he's like he he, ha- he does have like fear that santino never really had I guess, like, where Santino had power, this guy actually has, like, status, I yeah. guess. And, and, if anything, that should have been established when he killed Charon, right? Yeah. Because, like, yeah, he's above the- he kept on saying that he was kind of, like, above the rules, almost. Mm-hmm. I think. But, yeah, that, that's, that's what I kind of find interesting about Bill Skarsgård here. Yeah, and another thing that I love too after this 
is John goes to visit Winston, which again, he hasn't seen Winston since he was shot off the roof, right? Yeah. So he goes to visit Winston that's at this memorial for like, I assume everybody that was at the Continental that didn't make it out and died. And obviously Sharon has a monument there too. Um, he's lighting these candles and John's like, I have this marker. Can you tell me who this person works for? And he goes, oh, it's the Marquis de Gramo, who's basically like a general and the high table is hired him to take you down. All of their assets are at his disposal. He's like, well, where do I find him? He's like, Paris. And John goes to walk off, obviously, because that's basically been Winston and John's interactions. Like, hey, I need help with this. Okay, this is what you need. And then he goes and does it. But Winston this time stops him and goes, where will it end? Hmm? He's like, have you learned nothing throughout this? If you continue to, like, just fight and fight, like, you're just going to die because you're going to run out of bullets and stuff. He's like, Sharon was a good friend and I lost him and, like, there's been nothing but consequence here. He's like, you need to kill him, but do it the smart way. Challenge him to single combat. And John's like, high table duels are a myth. He's like, no, not if one of the families, you know, challenges the Marquis to a duel. If you kill him in the duel, it's a way out. However, if you die, it's also a way out. So win or lose, it's a way out. And John, of course, is like, well, I tore my ticket with the Ruska Roma. I can no longer go back. And Winston's like, well, you better fucking get to Berlin and make amends because that's your only way out of this, basically. And John, of course, decides to go to Berlin after this. But what I love about this is Winston throughout the series has always been kind of just like very casual with John. Even when he makes him excommunicado, you can tell like he still wants to be his friend. Like he still wants to help him in all these ways. And even in John Wick 3, after he's basically gone to Winston, like I'm going to kill you. Like Winston's still like, you know, you don't have to do this, obviously. Like I see you as your friend and I know you won't do it because I'm your friend and everything. But in this one, it feels like Winston is fed up. And he's like, John, you have to do this because of all the things that have been lost here. I lost my hotel. We lost Sharon. Like people are dying because of you. You have to go make amends for this. And it feels like John understands that like he has to do this because not only one will John Wick have to find a way to make peace with himself, but at the same time, all of the casualties and losses that have led up to this moment has frustrated somebody that's even a good friend like Winston. I even like how Winston even delivered that too. That information, it's like, yeah, duels are a cold, hard fact. Yeah. <laughs> like that was also I like how that whole conversation was shot as well like the the placement of the characters because mm-hmm. it kind of makes it because like yeah John Wick is the Green Reaper, Reaper right yeah so yeah I thought it was very fitting that he's the one standing in front of like all these gravestones as like the Mr. Manager is just like talking to him like he's talking to death yeah basically i i kind of just found that funny personally Mm -hmm. so of course john then is like well i do have to get off to berlin so john of course does go to meet the ruska roma and the tracker has followed him all the way there but there's a scene with bill skarsgård and the harbinger in which the harbinger is like i fail to see how taking down all of these continentals is going to do anything about john wick and this is where we get bill skarsgård's motivation he's like no 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 the idea is not to kill john wick directly it's to kill the idea of him it's to kill everything he touches so Bill Skarsgård is going for the psychological effect here. If he starts taking down all of the friends and people that John has in the world and like taking things from them, they're eventually going to want to turn on John Wick himself, which is what I think is kind of brilliant in a way is not really any villain has tried this. Like, yeah, Santino tried it a little bit with obviously like, oh, I'm going to put a bounty on John Wick's head, but John Wick still had friends. And even Common at one point was like, you know, 
I, I like you, John, and everything like that, but you did kill basically somebody that lifted me up in this world, so I have to kill you. But John still had friends like the Bowery King that was willing to help him out and stuff like that. But now at this point, it feels like Bill Skarsgård, because of all the things that he's taken and all the consequences John has been through, he's finally playing into that psychological battle of like, how long can I go like taking out John Wick's little resources and stuff before they just turn on him and kill him? Yeah, I don't know. I... Like, I don't know. I don't know what I can add to this, but I just like how this is kind of like a return to form. Mm-hmm. I suppose from John Wick 3, because I do like Chapter 3 a lot. Like, I, I, if anything, it's kind of what introduced like all the lighting and such. And it, lighting, coloring, cinematography, etc. But the writing I felt was not as tight. But here... It's as though it's coming back to actually being, like, a complex narrative, I guess. Like, even though, yeah, it did start from a simple revenge narrative, I just like how we're able to get back to here, where we have this very prideful villain who is at threat. Like, he is a threat, but he's, like, the presence of John Wick kind of irks him. Yeah, I guess. To the point where he has to kill the idea of him. Like, he's so righteous. It's so interesting to me. But, yeah. No, uh, it I, is, I like it is a lot. Yeah. Um, so now, I want to talk a little bit about him meeting the Riscaroma. So, there's a great little joke where John Wick, like, meets this woman at the beginning that's like, please put all guns inside this uh, little basket. And John takes out, like, a revolver. She's like, cool revolver. He's like, yeah, it's vintage. And he pulls out two other guns that are in his belt also and puts them in there. Then he walks up to the father, and you notice that everybody's, like, watching him walk up from the pews. He's like, father? And he goes, yes, my son. He's like, I need to speak to Uncle Pietro. And before he can even finish the sentence, there's just the old man pulls out his shotgun and goes to blast him away. But, of course, because he has the whole Kevlar vest, he goes to shield himself, and he falls down, and he's like, nice suit. And he goes, thanks. And John Wick gets lifted up, and you see, like, the fucking bullet casings fall off of the suit, which I think is a really good attention to detail. That's fucking funny. Uh, that priest clearly has watched the first movie. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. he saw that one priest, like, fucking get blasted by the fucking Bratva. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, fuck that. I'm not gonna do that with this yeah. motherfucker. Oh, yeah, that, was that, that was pretty funny to me. I do like that. Uh, then we get a scene with Winston and the Bowery King, which I think is really effective. Winston's looking at the destroyed Continental, and Bowery King is like, oh, well, us homeless folk got to stick together and everything like that. And there's a great little moment where him and basically Winston are talking about how, like, John Wick basically, you know, what's going to become of him and everything like that, why helping him and everything. And Winston, I can't remember the line he says directly, but he basically talks about how, like, you know, the high table has taken everything from him and, like, how he's basically been left with nothing and why does he even want his hotel back? And Winston kind of delivers a line where he explains a little bit, like, what the power meant to him and everything like that and how it's left him aggrieved. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just really still hung up on that fucking scene from... No, yeah, I get that. Uh, So then John... Yeah, John comes back, basically, and it's the leader of the Riscaroma. She's like, we're gonna hang you, basically, because there's no point. Like, you have no get-out-of-jail-free card here. And he's like, well, I can help you, like, kill whoever killed Uncle Pietro and everything like that. And, of course, 
he's she's like oh that's not gonna do anything they'll just even if you like kill the marquee and everything like that they'll just replace him with another one there's no point in keeping you alive and he's like well it means something if i kill him in a duel and of course the elder walks over and is like no he's right like if he does kill the elder in a duel like everything will go back to normal and of course she's like okay yeah so if you want to buy your way back into this family uh you need to go kill the person that killed uncle Pietro. you need to go and kill this man named killa and of course john wick is like okay i'll do it and so they cut him down from the news and he's like i'm gonna need a way in and they're like oh we'll call So this is where we get introduced to Killa. So Killa is played by Scott Adkins, which a lot of people probably aren't going to know who Scott Adkins is. He did a lot of fighter films, basically. He did a lot of UFC and boxing fighting films. One thing that I find interesting about casting Scott Adkins is they didn't use him for like the big buff macho role that he's known for. Instead, he gets put in a fat suit and kind of looks like, you know, fat bastard from like the Austin Powers movies and stuff. But one kind of thing that I liked about him is he plays this very campy Bond style villain, which I know to a lot of people would just kind of be like, okay, whatever, basically. Basically, right you know he's just he's a guy in a fat suit but one thing that i like about this character is when he's first introduced he's like ah john wick you've been delivered to me as a gift and everything like that so many people want to kill you you know why don't i just do you a favor and do it now and everything like that he's like but it'd be too easy and then we discover that kane is there because kane has obviously been waiting around for john wick to come in and then the tracker got spotted outside so they bring him in and he's like wow so you want to kill john wick you want to kill john wick I want to kill John Wick. Why don't I just do it right now? And he pulls out a revolver to kill John Wick. And Kane's like, no, don't do it because I work for the marquee. And the tracker wants it, obviously, for the bounty that's on John Wick's head. And he's like, okay, well, why don't we play a card game to determine John Wick's fate? And, you know, as he's shuffling the cards, he starts talking about each of them and everything like that. And he starts going, but you know what the funny thing is? The three of you that came to this table all thought you were going to come in here with, like, the power and stuff like that. But the guy holding the deck and the cards and dealing it was the true one that held the power and everything like that. And obviously John Wick delivers the cold hard line like, I'm gonna kill you. And of course Killa doesn't believe him at first and Killa's goons start to encircle in once they realize like, oh, he's going to kill us. And one thing that I love about this uniqueness with John Wick is he takes one of the playing cards swipes Killa in the neck with it and cuts it pretty deep and then throws one of the playing cards into the eye of one of the goons and straight up fucking kills them and of course this is what causes Killa to run out of the room as all of them starts killing the goons in the room there's some creative kills by Kane in this where Kane throws like a flashbang at one point to blind all of them the tracker uses the dog to start biting the nuts of the goons so that way he can go up and shoot him in the head and then John Wick is chasing down Killa after shooting him in the ass and this is where we get another nightclub sequence which the cinematography here mwah beautiful once again it looks great the fight scenes in this are great scott adkins despite the fat suit moves really well and his fucking moves are great and he throws john wick off a great height which john wick you know he lands on a beam and then hits a dance floor and he should be paralyzed but at this point we're kind of used to john wick the supernatural human being anyways like he got thrown off a fucking roof in the third one so i'm okay with him surviving it because it just adds to the legend of the baba yaga what makes him tick and everything and even after he's on the dance floor and he gets up he starts killing goons he's putting axes in their heads and shit like that and he's like throwing axes at him and everything and then killer comes down the steps to fight john wick again and it's more great action and violence and stuff like that and i just love everything about the sequence and the way it plays out but not only that but just scott adkins having to play a role that is completely different from anything else that he's ever played just great choice no yeah like i the thing is i knew nothing about scott atkins going into this right yeah seeing him in a fat suit i thought he was just gonna be sitting there because i i thought i loved his presence but i thought like something big was gonna happen and it wasn't gonna involve him 
and I didn't expect him to, like, in a nightclub. By the way, my favorite cliche in in these movies is, like, John Wick murderizing a bunch of goons in the middle of a fucking club, and, like, nobody's, like, fucking reacting. Yeah. But, like, yeah, and then, like, after he kills, like, one final goon, like, it's, like, yeah, it, it's Killa. Like, looking at him dead in the eye. And then he, like, takes his asthma thing, breathes into him, and he's like, You shot me in the asshole. Bastard! And yeah. then, like, just, it turns into, like, one big, like, fight scene. And I did not expect that. And that was the most interesting thing to me. Because, like, yeah, it's like, what if Batman fought, like, a penguin that knew how to fight? Like, that, yeah. that, that was my main thing, and that's why I loved about this scene. Yeah, and I should mention, John Wick still has to fight off other goons and stuff like this, but what I love about the resolution with Killa is after Killa threw him off a great height, John Wick charges Killa full charge and knocks him off a great height, and he lands fucking neck first on oh. the bottom step and breaks his neck and dies. And I, everybody in the audience fucking hollered and screamed at that because of how cool it was. John Wick goes down and he turns him over and he's got this big dumb expression on his face. And then he punches him three times in the face to knock out a gold tooth as proof that he killed Killa. And then he walks out of the nightclub and I'm like, that's just fucking perfect. That's awesome. I love everything about that. Because I because there was another scene where like he was punching Killa in the face like a bunch of times, right? Yeah. And I guess that's the one thing that I can really critique about. Because keep in mind, like each act in this movie is like near perfect. Like they're all nine out of tens. I I, I think that's the main reason why I give this movie a nine out of ten. Spoilers. But like <laughs> Yeah, like, I, I remember he was, like, decking him. Like, John Wick was decking Killa in the face, like, multiple times for a scene, mm -hmm. to the point where, like, it knocks him out for a little bit. But I think it's because he's in a fat suit, but, which already has, like, a bunch of makeup on him. Like, I don't know. I, I kind of expected Killa to at least get, like, a black eye. Right? From, like, mm -hmm. all that, like, brutalizing and such. Maybe, maybe it's also just because he has, like, a like a metal like teeth thing like grill. yeah maybe, maybe he was like aiming for just that i don't know I, I, that's like a little nitpick I suppose. Uh -huh. but yeah no that that was awesome tracker saying nuts to have the dog, dog fucking <laughs> bite the nuts off of this one dude that was awesome to me. yeah that was good but um, yeah. yeah so after this john walked has the gold tube he doesn't have anything else and the tracker is at a vantage point with once again his sniper and he's going to take him down and then johnny n points the, his little blade sword on him and is like i told you not to take the deal and he's like well why do you want to do this like the high table really took your eyes from you he's like no they didn't take them from me i gave them to him and the tracker's left stunned after that and he just like you know lets it happen lets donnie n walk away john walks back in he goes to the head of the rusca roma shows her the tooth and then they go through their whole ritual in which they burn themselves permanently with the scar on their forearms on this hot metal thing. They drink vodka, obviously, to salute it. And she's like, well, the Rushkaroma backs your challenge to the Marquis. Who will be your two? And then we cut to the sequence in which Winston has this long take where he's walking down this museum, which I assume is like near the Louvre or something like that in Paris. 
and he walks to the marquee and is like, I have a decree. You have to atone to this because it's a high table rule and it's the old ways and stuff like that. You've been challenged to single combat. And like you said earlier, of course, the marquee thinks that he's under the rules and everything. He's like, ah, well, you know, there are new ideas, new rules, new management. Like this high table stuff like isn't anything. And he's like, but you'll respect the old rules because none of us are above the high table. And you can tell there's that peak frustration on Bill Skarsgård where he's like, I don't want to be serving under these people. I don't want to feel like I owe them anything. But he is just, again, a general that's serving under the 12 members of the high table. And Winston starts to coax him a little bit. He's like, you know, so many men like that just are marquees, you know, they got on history as like just goons and stuff like that. But you could be the marquee that takes down John Wick. And if you do that, who knows how high that kind of power can take someone. And of course, it causes the Marquis to get a little bit cocky. He's like, okay, I accept this challenge. And Winston's like, okay, but at the time John Wick wins, I want my hotel reestablished. I want all of my perks back and everything like that. I want everything back to the way it was for me. And he goes, okay, I'll take that deal. And John Wick gets his freedom. But as he's walking out, he tells Winston, but you also have to know the old rules means if John Wick loses, his challenger also gets buried alongside him. And presumably, I'd assume the Ruskaroma also for backing John Wick. And Bill Skarsgård goes, you know, just like the old ways. And of course, Winston is left just, you know, kind of sitting there contemplating it. And he goes, such is life. And he walks out. I mean, that's something that I also really like about the Marquis is the fact that he's like very prideful. Yes. Right, like like the way that Mr. Manager even said he's like you could be the one to bring the Grim Reaper into the light. And I think that says a lot about the ending. I guess like the choices yes. as far as like oh, how it happens and how it happens. I, I remember reading a letterbox review about how th- this kind of feels as though it's like wrapping up like a entire war arc since you were 14 years old mm-hmm. yeah it, it, if you frame it like that like especially with like this next scene that we're gonna talk about in a sec it, it does feel like this a culmination of something so yeah i don't know that, that's what i like about the marquee and this movie yeah uh, so after this, John meets the Marquis, and the two of them sit down at this table with the Harbinger, and he's like, okay, we're going to determine, you know, the rules of this, and whoever has the higher number gets to determine, like, wins their choice of what they want. So, of course, John is like, I want to do it, you know, during the nighttime, and the Marquis's like, I want to do it during the day. He has the higher number, so the Harbinger's like, okay, it'll be daytime. Uh, there's a location determination, which, again, of course, is won by the Marquis, and he goes, you know do this there's no point in you trying to buy your freedom you're john wick the killer like you'll always be the killer there's nobody that can deny that you'll never find inner peace because killing is all you know and john wick of course doesn't really say anything to that because it's again this prideful little arrogant asshole and john says dueling pistols and wins so the duel will be determined by two dueling pistols but of course the marquee is within his rights to make a nomination so who does he nominate to take on john wick in the duel kane and Kane is, of course, caught off guard by this. And the Harbinger's like, okay, it'll take place at this historic French place. It'll be in the morning. It'll be with dueling pistols. Failure to meet at sunrise means that, obviously, the challenger will be killed. And, of course, his backer and everybody else that backed him and everything. Good day, gentlemen. And he walks off. And John and Winston walk off. And then Kane goes, won't do it. You're going to have to find someone else to fight your own fight. And, of course, the pridefulness of the Marquis is like, oh, well, you know, your daughter will suffer because of it. And, of course, you know, Kane is frustrated because, again, this man has his daughter. But he also doesn't want to kill his friend John Wick, which, again, just shows 
the greatness of this villain, the Marquis. I don't know how you can look at the Marquis and think he's a bad villain. Yeah, I mean, it, it brings back to like Santino, right? Yeah. Where it's like, it's a villain that's like so petty, but is also like not willing to do anything. Like he's so willing to use other people to do his bidding. And like they can't really do anything about it. That, that's what I like about the Marquis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another thing too but yeah no it, it's and again like going back to like how we have John like John Wick like characters right yeah mm-hmm. I'd say Kane is interesting and in, he's like living John Wick 2 again basically yeah <laughs> where he's kind of doing something that uh he do- he really doesn't want to do even though he's out of retirement. Like, yeah, he just wants to... And he still considers John a friend that via the next scene where they're both sitting in the church together. Uh, and, yeah, they're kind of just, like, catching up one last time before, like, this whole duel thing can go down. And he's like, yeah, I'm just glad that I get to sit down with a friend. Yeah, I do like the line where Donnie Yen is like, do you think your wife can hear you? And he goes, maybe, maybe not. And then, of course, he goes, well, maybe. And he's like, you know that you're going to die. And John goes, maybe not, which is another powerful line. Because, again, John Wick hasn't died in any other movies in this, so why would it be any different, you know? Um, But I do like that they do respect each other as friends, obviously. Because that's the one thing I thought would get lost in translation, is that these two would just become bitter enemies. But no, Kane truly does not want to kill an old friend of his, and neither does John. And it's tearing them both apart. So, of course to find some safety to harbinge before obviously sunrise so he decides to meet down in the subway system where the bowery king gets off with winston and he's like i'm spreading my wings john i'm being disobedient you know i'm going to you know lead this little revolution and stuff and he introduces this brand new kevlar suit to john he's like a man will look best when he's getting married or buried um he gives john this pit viper pistol that he basically talks about as like one of the quickest and efficient pistols and everything like that and winston and him are toasting to wine as john gets ready and everything like that meanwhile the marquee is being told by the harbinger hey you know you're not to interfere with john wick getting to the location and like if we find out that you do this like there will be consequences for that and he walks off but of course the marquee hired obviously assassins to take him out and also puts out an anonymous call on this radio to basically tell people in paris like hey john wick is here he's got a 25 million dollar sum bounty on his head why don't you go try to kill him and so all these goons are gearing up they got a dragon's breath shotgun that they're going to use and everything like that which comes into play later and basically all of these people are ready to take on john the minute they find him the Bowery King, of course, takes John in his little boat with Winston, and they go down, and they start talking a little bit about how it's going to be over soon and everything like that. And Winston delivers a great line where he's like, you know, I kind of, you know, struggled a little bit to think about what to put on Sharon's little gravestone, but you know what I put? Friend. Because above all else, that's what he was. And the Bowery King's like, well, mine is long live the king. I had that made a long time ago and everything like that. And John kind of thinks about it a little bit as they get to the edge of the pond, and they let John off at the station, and he gets out and he goes, loving husband. That's what I want to be remembered as, John, loving husband. And they just, you know, don't really say much. They nod to it, and John goes up the steps. And it's, again, a powerful scene that's just so little but yet so effective. Yeah, and again, it'll also play... We're, we're saying a lot of stuff that, like, yeah. will bleed into yeah. the ending of this. Yeah. And that I feel like by the end of this, we're, we're still going to be a little bit... Com- 
we we talked about like briefly before mm. this we're kind of conflicted but like i don't know i think i'm starting to like it a little bit more as we're like discussing it mm-hmm. discussing like the movie in full i guess that, that that's what i like about this conversation i guess yeah so john of course goes up to the city streets where the radio broadcast is like uh-oh we spotted john wick on this part of the area if you're in that area try to take him out and we get this action sequence where john's trying to cross the street and all these goons are closing in on him and it's another gunfight he takes a car he runs a couple of them over he smashes a guy with his car one is hanging on his car door that he bangs into a light post like it's great he drives the car around and he drives it to the whatever historic paris landmark it is and it turns into a chase sequence where all these cars are chasing him around and it's basically frogger at a certain point because john gets out of his car and all these goons are chasing him down and they're getting hit by cars john's getting hit by cars um all of these people are trying to basically just stay afoot but basically every time john gets hit by a car he gets back up but the goons no they're just straight up dead again adding to that beautiful baba yaga myth um there's a great moment in this where the tracker shows up where it looks like john's about to get shot and killed and the dog gets out and takes out a goon and the tracker is sitting there he's like hey i got john wick in my sights uh mr marquis like do you want me to take him out for 30 million dollars marquis like no i'm not doing this blah 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 and he's like okay well that's gonna be the only offer that i make right now and of course bill skarsgård's all frustrated because he doesn't want to pay the actual price that the tracker wants the tracker helps out john a little bit the dog gets thrown into a car which everybody in the audience you know gasped the dog was going to die but it turns out to be okay john gets back in the car and is able to drive off and once again we see that bill skarsgård is becoming increasingly more frustrated because he realizes at a certain point like john wick the myth the legend might actually catch up to him and might actually kill him which is why his marquee goons start to come into play here then we get john wick runs into a motorcycle gang he throws his motorcycle into another motorcyclist they chase him up into this building where he takes out all of these goons and then we get probably hands down my favorite action moment in this movie where john gets his hands on one of those dragon's breath shotguns starts pumping rounds of dragon's breath fire into people and the camera tilts into a 2d shot much like the hotline miami games where we watch john go room to room and clear out all of these goons with the dragon's breath shotgun it's beautifully shot it's an homage obviously to those 2d top-down games from the past and everything like that hotline miami is the first one that comes to my mind because it plays the synthy beats that all those games have but I was floored by this. I had the biggest fucking smile on my face because of how fucking cool it was. Hayden, this is clearly a love letter to the classic game John Wick Hex. Oh, that's right, John Wick Hex. <laughs> that's oh, like man. a that's like a turn-based Hotline Miami type game. Yeah, it's not as good as Hotline Miami. <laughs> yeah, but... yeah, but like you know, yeah, you're right. This very much screams hotline miami and that's what i it's so insane how they were able to do they've gotten to that point where i want to say that john wick one is like simple revenge plot two is when it actually starts getting like good writing wise like as it includes like intrigue and such three despite like it being like very loose it is like a gamer entry i guess that, that that's the best way i could describe it like it, it's like it, it very much feels like a video game especially like when he gets like knocked down like from a building yeah basically right like it kind of takes you out of it but like it's okay it's a video game this this movie 
if it hasn't been established as a gamer movie before, it is now, definitely. <laughs> it's a great reference, too. Exactly. Um, but yeah, after this, John and the tracker meet up with each other again because the tracker is like, okay, 45 million. And of course, reluctantly, the Marquis is like, okay, if you kill John Wick, I will give you 45 million. So the tracker and him are at odds again. They get into a basically handheld fist fight where John and him get into a fight and the dog's taking out goons in the background. Well, then that leader goon of the Marquis comes up with a gun and John picks up the gun from the uh, tracker and he goes to point it at him to kill him. But instead of killing him, he shoots the goon in his vest, which causes the, vo- uh, the goon to fall off the story building and not die but he gets knocked out i guess and he saves the dog and then john just rushes out of the room and the tracker's caught off guard because obviously john wick you know the killer had a moment of basically humanity where he didn't kill the tracker spared him and even saved his dog and the tracker is like emotionally conflicted from that because you know he doesn't know how to feel john wick did a noble thing that normally like the legend is oh he's just a killer like that's all he does is kill but it actually shows like john has a human side and then we get another gamer moment where keanu reeves jumps out a five-story building hits a car and dents it falls to the ground and then gets up and walks it off basically and i was like oh my goodness like you're really breaking the suspension of disbelief here but it's so fucking cool i just i just saw two videos actually one is actually seeing the stunt being done like apparently obviously keanu reeves didn't jump five stories but like i saw like what he did like he was standing on the on that truck and then he jumped and then did the stunt like and like fell on the fucking ground and oh my god still that's like painful yeah even for a stunt person a lot of people infamously you know the I, it got uploaded before the movie but did you see the the escalator scene where the guy gets thrown down the escalator Dude, and then they, yeah they yell cut and he just gets up like nothing happened <laughs> what the fuck Again, like, I don't know. Like, why, why do the Oscars not nominate stunts? I don't get it. Like, these are literal fucking people putting their bodies on the line, and you're not going to award that? Yeah. No, you bring up a good point. Yeah. Like, they don't... Why don't they recognize that anyways? that That's something that I very... The Academy's so out of touch at this point. Like, it's... Yeah, I get it. He win every year because he just doesn't say shit but like you gotta award movies like john wick where it's people literally doing this shit to their bodies and like they gotta have some incentive yeah because like yeah which kind of brings me to the second thing that i wanted to mention because like i remember i watched a video like with like bob odenkirk like on the red carpet or something and uh somebody asked them who would win like your character in nobody or john wick and yeah bob odenkirk even like lap was like cracking up saying that like yeah no i'm not winning against john wick because john wick lives in john wick world and i live in the real world and <laughs> to an extent that's kind of true yeah because yeah like obviously bob odenkirk he's playing a character that's like somebody that's out of his prime Mm-hmm. versus somebody who's like a literal badass and i i kind of like how he kind of admits that too yeah because yeah. that that's the best way i could describe those scenes where he's falling five stories from a building because yeah no he's just built different he has a suit that like saves him from insane shit like that that's what i find insane and that's what i find cool about these john wick movies 
And I'm still able to like nobody, by the yeah. way. Yeah, it's a great movie. That, that's an underrated movie. People should check it out. Exactly. Um, so anyways, after this, John Wick then works his way up to the steps, where he has to climb up 222 steps to reach, of course, the high table duel. And there are all these goons that are waiting on the steps. What does John Wick do? Goes up the steps and he's clearing out all the goons all the way to the top. They're rolling down as they're getting shot and everything. Or John's using them as body shields and everything like that. And John Wick works his way up to the top of the steps where the marquee goons meet him. And the head honcho punches him down the steps. And yes, Keanu Reeves falls down all 222 steps. Which again, just makes me think, how the fuck does this man that is nearing 60 just do this stuff? Wait, because, okay, I'm bringing back fucking Matrix Resurrections. Wasn't, like, a stuntman for Keanu Reeves? Like, he said that he didn't want to work for Matrix Resurrections, so he decided to just stick with four. Yeah. Was that actually Keanu Reeves, or was it the stuntman? So, it's insane. It's, it's, I guess, apparently... Keanu did 90% of the stunts in this movie, right? It was reported that he did 90% of his stunts, yes. So, I'm willing to believe he did, because all you would have to do is, like, put a shit ton of padding on him, and as he's rolling down, like, he is in a position to where, like, he's not hitting his face or anything like that, so Mm -hmm. I am willing to bet Keanu Reeves probably did fall down a bunch of steps, because I mean, he got thrown through glass plane windows in this movie and shit like that, so... Because, like, I'm also bringing back, like, callbacks to other movies because that that's what this movie is basically like yeah as far as payoff goes yeah because he does fall down a bunch of steps with common in the second one too correct right so like but the thing that's most impressive to me is like that is a fuck ton amount of steps compared to the steps that he was taking in italy Correct. Which, man, ah, man, I don't know. That to me was insane. And because, like, the thing is, like, you kind of feel like hopeless in that situation too. Like, he just got to the top, and it only took like two kicks to get him to rock bottom. And you think that is like all hope is lost. He's never gonna make it to this dual person. But then fucking uh, fucking Kane comes in and he's like oh you got two minutes alright yeah we're we're getting to the top of this and they fuck oh man are you gonna describe how it goes down yeah so yeah. Kane and him are walking up the steps and John just simply says to him 12 or 9 and of course Donnie Yen takes a deep breath and he goes 9 and he shoots the person that's at his 9 o'clock as John takes out the people that are at his 12 o'clock that's not only great attention to detail but it's the fact that Donnie Yen once again was listening and John was like you hear a person at your 9 o'clock I hear a person at the 12 o'clock right in front and Donnie Yen takes a person that's farther away and it's just it's so fucking cool and as they're going up the steps Donnie Yen's using his cane to stab goons and like throw him at John so that way he can take him out a second time or vice versa John's saving him from a goon that's about to take him out and they work their way up the steps which which again that marquee goon that's all the way up there at the top goes to fight both of them and John gets knocked down the steps again pretty comedically um and Donnie Yen of course is like sliding down he's like uh pointing a gun at the goon and the goon's like you can't kill me he's like you're right but I can beat the shit out of you a lot and so the two of them get into a fight 
and John gets up and they knock the shit out of the goon. And even there's a great moment where Donnie Yen stabs a pencil through the hand of the goon and then they just leave him there to his own demise and everything. And he's like, come on, John, let's get up these steps, which it just makes me think, did Donnie Yen teach the pencil trick to John? Did John teach the pencil trick to Donnie Yen? We'll never know. And the goon goes to, you know, crawl over to grab his gun. He turns because he hears a dog growling and he goes, oh, shit. And nuts is set again by the tracker. The dog goes for the nuts of the goon. The tracker walks up and goes, you shot my puppy. And he shoots the goon right in the head. And then the dog pisses on the head and they all get up the steps. Most hilarious scene in the in this entire franchise. It was. Be yeah. if, because if it wasn't apparent, these movies are clearly made for dog people. Yeah. I think. And that's that's why I appreciate about that's this. That's why Zero, the cat person in 3, has to die. Because he's a cat person. Exactly. Exactly. It was nothing personal. He was just a cat person, basically. Um, it's skill issue, obviously. <laughs> it was a skill issue. But, um, yeah. I don't know. Like, that... That was so insane to me. And, like, the and the thing is, I like how it ends, too. Like, because his little cane... Kane's little cane is, like, a little stinger. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the best way I, I can describe it. It's like, ah, I can't believe we made it. And John's like, I can't believe we made it. And then Don just, like... Donnie Yen's character just, like, fucking stabs him in the hand. Which kind of seems for no reason. But, I don't know. The comedy of this is just... Yeah this but yeah yeah so they make it to the high table duel and of course bill skarsgård is all frustrated because his coon his goons can get the job done um and so what ends up happening is they sit there at the table and of course the harbinger's like okay the duel will commence like we have all these rules and like your bodies will be of course amended and everything like that and he says a whole prayer they take a shot john takes off all of his bulletproof vests and all of his garments donnie does the same uh the two of them obviously are told to walk 30 paces from each other but before we do donnie looks at him and goes see you on the other side my brother and so the two of them walk to their 30 paces Bill Skarsgård walks up with the gun ammo and goes, remember your daughter? And Donnie Yen yells, fuck off at him, which I think is hilarious. And then Winston walks over and is like, what a beautiful sunrise. And he goes to hand John his piece and John puts it in the gun. And he goes, last words, Winston. And he goes, just have fun out there. And the two of them are at opposite ends. They have their pistols cocked. The tracker is sitting on a bench with his dog watching the whole thing go down. The harbinger counts down, tells him to fire. And the first shot rings out. And Don and Johnny N are both shot in the arm. Again, implying that the two of them really don't want to do this to each other. And so they're told to step another 10 paces up. They step up 20 paces. They go to fire their shots again. This time, Donnie Yen takes a shot, which is close to his ribs, kind of down by his intestines regions and stuff. And he goes to grab it and he's gripping. And he goes, nice shot, John, as John had been shot in the shoulder. And this time around, when the next shot is being told to be fired, Winston walks up and goes, go ahead and just kill him, you know, end it. Because Winston's like, we can just obviously get the hotel back. Like, it's just another person that you have to kill. But one thing that I love about it is the contemplation in Keanu's eyes before the final shot. Keanu sits there, looks down at the pistol, looks back at Johnny Yen, and then says a line that I think Donnie Yen says earlier in the movie, or says, um, it may have been Donnie Yen said it to him. He goes, those that cling to death seek life, and those that cling to life uh, life seek death and everything like that and they go to fire one last time and a shot rings out John gets shot down towards his intestine region and falls over and obviously he's wounded and dying and Donnie Yen is caught off guard 
And of course, Bill Skarsgård and all of his arrogance and pride is like, wait, you know, stop. I want to deliver the coup de grace. He grabs the pistol from Donnie Yen and Donnie Yen's like, well, is my daughter free? And he goes, yes, your daughter's free. Everything's good. And he goes up to shoot John Wick in the head. And Winston, of course, scout, uh, scoffs and goes, you arrogant little asshole. He didn't shoot. And it's revealed that John Wick never filed the fi- fired the final shot. And of course, Bill Skarsgård all like caught off guard, goes to turn. John Wick has the pistol pointed at his head and goes, consequences, and shoots him in the fucking dome, and he falls over and dies. Fuck yeah. And I, I, yes. I, I just think remember the when my theater just uh, was cheering for that. Yeah. Okay. Was yours? Yeah, mine cheered, was like, fuck yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you were saying? Yeah, so, after this, of course, it's revealed that, like, oh, the Harbinger's caught off guard. He's like, hmm, well, Mr. John Wick, you are relieved of all of your uh, ties to the high table. You now have your freedom. As to you, Mr. Donnie Yen, uh, Kane, you're able to see your daughter again. The two of you no longer have to serve under the table. Our business here is conducted. Goodbye. And the Harbinger snaps his fingers. Everybody goes to clean their shit up. And then Donnie Yen walks over to John is like my brother. And, you know, he's all emotional because John made a sacrifice for him and his daughter. And John looks at him and goes, you know, you owe me. Right. And he laughs and he gets up and walks away. And then Winston walks over to John and John looks at Winston and goes, well, will you take me home? And Winston doesn't really say anything. I think he says, of course, or something like that. And then John Wick walks down the steps takes off his belt where all of these ammo boxes fall down, which I think is kind of hilarious. And he sits on the step and has this moment of contemplation where he thinks about his wife, Helen. It's obviously an homage to Blade Runner where the uh, deviant at the ending is, you know, going on his little monologue about I've seen things that you've never seen before. John Wick then slowly bends over, falls over and falls on the steps. And then we cut to New York with Winston and the Bowery King at a tombstone where it has Helen Wick, loving wife, and then John Wick, loving husband, on a tombstone. And the Bowery King goes, never thought I'd live to see the day. He's like, so where do you think he is? Is he in heaven or is he in hell? And Winston goes, who knows? And the Bowery King laughs and walks away, and he has John Wick's pit bull. I know a lot of people have been like, well, what about his dog? But it looks like the Bowery King's taking care of the dog. And then, of course, Winston walks up to the tombstone. It's revealed that he has one of the tattoos that the Ruska Roma does on his wrist. And then in Russian, he says, see you uh, see you soon, my son. And then walks away, and the movie ends with that. Oh, okay, so, like, we're talking about his death, right? Yeah, we got to talk about it. <laughs> so I'm conflicted here. Like, and the thing is, because I'm fine with, like, characters dying, right? Like, like especially, like, legacy characters. I'm, like, if it's written well, right? I'm not saying that, like... Because the seeds were there, right? I, I think that that was interesting to me. Like, how, I, and I really like the homage to Blade Runner. Yeah. As well. But like at the same time, I just also rewatched the first movie. And something that I liked about that was like how to me, like it, it seemed as though like I don't think John would have John's wife, Helen, would want him to die like that. Mm-hmm. I guess. Like it seeking revenge or like trying to get out of it, I guess. You know, but like, I guess in this context, it's like, I guess he's content with seeing his wife because, yeah, the, the, it harks back to the line that, like, 
um, he's only going to be free in death. Yeah. But, no, I don't know. I'm just very conflicted by this. What What are your thoughts? So, I think it does make more sense for John Wick as a character to basically, like, you know, he has his freedom now, and it does beg the question, like, what would he do with his freedom ultimately? And now we won't know, obviously, because he's dead, but I think... It makes sense because, like you were saying, a lot of the themes in this movie are like, John Wick can only find peace and death, John Wick can only find peace and death, and that might be ultimately true because even after John Wick gets his freedom, there's still going to be, obviously, assassins out there and stuff that are like, oh, well, John Wick, you know, I still want to kill the legend everything like that. He can never truly leave this world because there are always going to be people after him because he is the living legend John Wick. And I think that's why I'm kind of okay with his death being like this to where he kind of finds peace after gaining his freedom and, like, he doesn't have to fight anymore but there is obviously a lot of things that are left on the table that John Wick wanted to do. Like, again, one of the things established at the beginning of the movie was John Wick wanted to take down the high table, but now, obviously, that's not going to happen because he's dead. But there's also, again, those moments of ambiguity at the ending where, obviously, they say, in heaven or in hell, and Winston goes, who knows, which could imply, like, maybe nothing's in that tombstone. Maybe John Wick just went off and retired somewhere, and that's the end of his legacy, you know? It's kind of like, you know how the Dark Knight Rises ends with like, oh, is Bruce Wayne actually dead? Did Alfred see him at the cafe and everything like that? It kind of feels like an ending like that where it's meant for like the viewer to interpret it the way they want. Like, is John Wick truly dead? Is John Wick off somewhere else? And they just buried the legend of him in New York as like a whole, oh yeah, he's gone. And I think that's what I love about this movie is it's very layered in its ending and it does leave a lot to be desired for a potential, obviously John Wick 5 that's probably going to get greenlit. Since, yeah, no, that that interpretation there, that, like, the tombstone might be empty, that's kind of what I personally want to believe. Yeah. But at the same time, like, this dude, Keanu Reeves, he's 60 years old. I don't want him to, like, hurt himself if he seriously doesn't want to. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't want to, and I also don't want to be, like, those that type of guys. Like, why'd you kill him off? Like, I want to see him do, like, fucking backflips and such. Like, I think that's lame, too. I don't know. I'm just so conflicted because I, I guess I just didn't want to see this franchise possibly end. Especially with, like, the post credit scene mm-hmm. as well. Are, we should probably talk about that, too. Yeah. Uh, so there's a quick little post credit scene if you stay for the very end of the movie where Donnie Yen is walking to see his daughter. Uh, he has a p- little bouquet of flowers and stuff, and they keep cutting once again to that same shot of the girl at the beginning of the movie that's playing the violin. And as Donnie Yen is working his way towards there, we see Akira with her hood up, and she's walking towards Donnie Yen. He's got, again, that knife cane and everything, but Akira draws a blade, and it just cuts to black. Cuts to black after that. We don't know what happens after that. So. You know, is it's again an interpretation thing. Hermit Akira might get her own spinoff or something like that. Um, there is a spinoff confirmed in the John Wick universe that's coming out next year. It's called Ballerina with Ana de Armas, which is going to involve one of the characters that work for that ballerina organization with uh, Jennifer, not Jennifer, what, what? Angelica Houston, yeah. Angelica Houston. Three. Yeah. Wait. Okay, that's interesting, right? Because I don't know, like. But something that I never really liked about the John Wick franchise, which I still love dearly, like I still love this movie a lot, but I guess I just didn't really like how side characters will disappear. Yeah, like 
do you remember that John Leguizamo is like still out there in, in this in this universe? I don't think he dies in chapter three, but like no. he's very much reacting to uh, John Wick getting excommunicado, like in his little garage. Yeah, but like I don't know. So I'm curious what ballerina is gonna entail like if it's gonna focus on the side characters that have disappeared you know yeah i don't i don't know if it will or not i think so here's here's what i'm interpreting basically so they really want to see if ballerina can stand on its own legs right they want to see if it can make as much money as john wick i think the idea here is if lionsgate can make profitability from other characters in the john wick universe then they're just going to be okay doing side characters in the forefront going forward and like doing more with them. But if Ballerina doesn't make any money and the Akira movie doesn't make any money, then they might shit themselves and go, well, we have to do John Wick 5 now. So I think that's the contemplation. I think Chad and Keanu do want this to be the end of the franchise. But the only problem is if the other spinoff franchises don't do well, then Lionsgate's going to force their hand and be like, hey, guys, we got to make a fifth one here because uh, obviously, like, we, we need profits and stuff. Because Lionsgate is a company, like, they do decently well off movies, but John Wick is, like, their cornerstone, basically. The the last thing that I want happening to this franchise is... I, I don't know if this is for real, but, like, did you did you hear that they're doing, like die-hard movies with, like, a not Bruce Willis type of person. I did hear that. Like, it's like an... My friend, my buddies were telling me about this. Uh, I think it was, like, a, like an AI thing where they, oh, like... God. Where they fake Bruce Willis being in these future... I, I don't know if it's for true. Okay. But, like, I don't know, like, I just don't want... Like, or at, at the very least, a better example is like what Star Wars has done with Luke Skywalker in yeah, like, oh God. Mandalorian, where they deep fake him doing fucking flips and shit. Yeah, I, I don't want that to happen to the John Wick movies. No, God, please no. Because again, something that we love about this franchise are the practical stunts. Yes very much right like we love seeing like keanu reeves go through hell and back just to prove that like revenge is like kind of a bad thing which mm -hmm. it's true but like i don't know it I, I just don't want that authenticity to be gone because if anything at the end of the day like that's something that I really love about these movies, I guess. Oh, no, I, I agree with honest. you. I agree. But, yeah. That's... But, yeah, I don't know. As terms of the spinoffs, I... I don't know. I'll, I'll say hopeful for them, because I do want to see a lot of these side characters possibly make an appearance, because I do know that uh, Rena who played Akira, wanted Michelle Yeoh to play her mother, apparently, if they ever were to continue it. Yeah. But, I don't know. But I like John Wick 4 enough. Yeah. And if this is the last movie to wrap up this little franchise that they were going for, I'm, I'm fine with that. 
yeah so am i um i don't have much more to, i guess to say about john wick 4 go see it because honest to god like keep supporting this little franchise and you know let chad and keanu know all their work was worth it um so i scored this one a nine out of ten as a lot of people know i think my i don't know so my ranking of the movies goes two four one three probably interesting because i don't know if four will jump two over time or if it won't but like it goes two four one three right now I kind of have a similar list. It's just that one is switched with three. Okay. I think because I I just finished rewatching the first one, and I still think it's a little bit too simple. Well, not that's too mean. I get that it's like a it can be seen as a standalone compared to the rest of them. Yeah. But it very much screams first movie that's fair of a franchise and if anything because there's still a scene in two i can't rewatch. i'm not gonna say what but it, you might have an idea of what it is no yeah i know what you're talking about uh but like again two is the one where it actually made us care for like what these movies are trying to go for i guess like saying that revenge can only lead you into like darker places if if you go down that path yeah and such and uh if anything that's why i appreciate for a lot yeah oh yeah well uh i guess yeah that'll do it for the john wick 4 review um well fahrenheit it looks like the analytics uh, are about to come in and tell us how much money we made yeah i can't believe that uh we talked about matrix 4 this entire time Wait, you listed this podcast under Matrix 4? Uh, yeah. Oh my god. Fahrenheit. All that money went to Danny. Danny had all this... No, wait. Matrix 4. Oh, Oh, no. no. Fahrenheit, we just lost $2 billion. What the fuck? Oh, fuck! (laughs)